And we're back. You are listening to Lights, Camera, Cleveland. I'm Rob Alderman. With me, as always, the Hollywood Slinky. And now, Rob picks a topic. Ready? (laughs) I'm ready. Go. Hayden Christensen. They say that he's being brought back to be in the new Star Wars movies. And the internet goes crazy. Yeah, it's been insane. It's been insane how much the internet has backlashed against this idea. One of the problems with the backlash, though, is that it's unclear what Hayden Christensen will be playing. It's also unclear why he deserves all the hatred for the movies that people didn't like. I mean, we all know that the real problem with the the prequels was Jake Lloyd playing the little boy. (laughs) I think, like, for me, this is the issue. Here's the issue that I have, Slinky, and I think that this bears discussion. This is why it's my topic. Sure. We know you and I have defended the prequels. Mm-hmm. We have said, hey, y'all, chill out on these prequels because they were fun in they, a lot of ways. They were not as bad as you think. That's right. Like, hating Jar Jar Binks does not mean a movie's awful. Right. Okay. Well, here's the thing with Hayden Christensen is like, yes, he was stiff, right? No, he didn't portray a lot of emotion. Neither did Academy Award-winning actress Natalie Portman. Neither did Academy Award-winning actor Liam Neeson, right? Right. And Academy Award-winning or Academy Award-nominated Samuel L. Jackson, right? right? Every single one of those people. Like, do you remember... Like the scenes when like the Jedi's are hanging out in their council, yeah, and like uh, Samuel L. Jackson is talking to Yoda, and he's like, "I think you're making a mistake," or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what his actual lines were or whatever, but like, do you remember how stiff it was? It wasn't good. It was it was bad. And then it wasn't until later when uh, Liam Neeson talked about the way that they filmed with like the green screens that only went from their shoulders down, right. And how, like, how disconcerting it was for them to tell him, like, now listen, you're talking to Watto here, but Watto's not here. Right. You have to pretend Watto's here. And you're going to have to just carry on, like, half of your conversation. Right? We forget, like, these people were recording under these circumstances. You know, for three straight movies, they didn't get it right. Right. You know? And apparently, the only one who can get it right is Ewan McGregor. Yeah. You know? And, like, you can like or dislike the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but, like, no, you and seems... No, you can't. Well, I think you... you are required to like the character. I, I like the character. It's my favorite character in Star Wars. <laughs> but I always have to be careful, because then you open up that door to, like, the nerds being like, he was the greatest failure in the... And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like, the coolest characters make the worst mistakes. Right. You know, like, that's a, that's a, a staple of good storytelling. Dude, one of the things about storytelling that people forget... And I know this in particular because of the role-playing games that I play in. You know, everybody strives to win, but the problem is that when you win, winning is the ending of a story. Right. Losing is the beginning of a chance for redemption or another tale. You know, uh, interestingly enough, um, you know, we're kind of our own men. People don't realize this about us, but our podcast, uh, the ones we do, this one and Situation Normal both, have so much to do with, like, who we've been and who we are. And who we're becoming, right? And like, it's cool now because like AMC Mike is on the show, and she's not right. here tonight because yeah, she had we a should super, note that. Yeah, we want to note that like um, we didn't fire her. 
<laughs> she didn't fire us. She didn't. Yeah. Better way for us she to didn't say. quit. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, that uh, AMC Mike actually had a really old friend from out of town come in town unexpectedly, very unexpectedly. And so, yeah. like, she was like rushing out the door as we were getting ready right. to start. Um, she may join us at the end, depending upon how long. Yeah, she's we don't out. know. Yeah, yeah, but but so anyway, the cool thing is, like, right, we we have like this story of us of friends, right? And we meet over Star Wars, right? You know, like we meet at Indiana University, yeah. and we decide to go get some Chinese food just because it's sort of like, well, I need a new friend at the college, and you need a new friend at the college because we're freshmen. Yeah, and we go get some Chinese, and someone's like, Star Wars. And the and next like thing we five know, hours like, it's later. like five hours later, yeah. right? And no joke, I'll tell you, Star Wars is still with us. That Chinese food has long passed. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> and so here's the thing, it's like, what's cool is, I remember actually learning this lesson as a real lesson because of you. Um, years ago, I had to do this thing on the radio, and like, I kind of knew like, I guess I kind of knew this thing about like, like you were saying, like a bad mistake is the start of a new story. Yeah. Um, it, it, I was doing. Wait, are you saying that us meeting over Chinese food was a bad mistake? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Here's what I'm saying: is a few years ago, I was doing this Operation Christmas Child thing, and on the radio, I got into it with a local chiropractor who now happens to be like my wife's chiropractor, <laughs> and. In it, I challenged him. I, I kept calling him Doctor Feelgood, and I would challenge him to these boxes, right? And uh, so, it's for some people point, who don't know Operation Christmas Child, you're donating uh, shoe boxes filled with toys for kids, right? So he, that's when and he's they talking ship about all boxes. over, right? And they ship all over the world, and they count them. So how many you bring is it matters, right? So I was putting together as many as I could with the boys, and I remember at one point he came in with his boxes. And I had no idea, but he had taken this radio threat so serious. Right. And he came in with, like, two cars full of boxes. And I found out that he had come earlier in the day and scoped out how many boxes I had done. And he had gone out, and he had gotten one more box than me. Right. On purpose. And I was mad because I'm very competitive. And it was the last day of collection. Right. And there were still, like, two hours... And I had time to leave and go put together another two boxes because... So you'd win. I do not like to lose. Right. And you stopped me and you said, it's bad radio. <laughs> and I was like, what? And you were like, if you win, it's bad radio. Because I had been on the radio. We were promoting our podcast right. on the radio. Uh, we were promoting the company that we worked for on the radio. Yeah. I was on the radio all the time. And you were like... If you lose, it's going to be such good radio tomorrow, and it's, like, part of the story. And then next year, you get to do this again, and, like, people will get super excited, and you can let him win again, and it will be a big deal, right? right? Because you're on the radio all the time. He's not, and you've been saying, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. And now right. if you lose, you get to play, like, the funny heel, right? I never forgot that. Like, for whatever reason, however many years ago that was that you said that to me, I thought, right, like, this is the crux of the story is that, like, the hyper-competitive dude who could win loses. Right. And that's great. Like, the family chiropractor wins. He beats yeah. right? He, like, it's he heroic. Did, it's heroic. He beat me. And so, like, I had to not win 
to make the story good, right? That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. What if Obi-Wan Kenobi says to Luke Skywalker, like, dude, your dad was a, a dark Jedi. He made some bad mistakes and he killed a bunch of kids. And uh, now what we really should do is get together, you know, three or four Jedis. Let's go get Yoda. You know, he's still young. He's not dead yet. And let's go track your dad down and kill him. Right. Because he's like a horrible dude. Right. Well, then we don't have the whole series. Yeah. Like, like Obi-Wan has to make some kind of pretty blunderous mentoring calls right. for, the, for everything to sort of happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the point being with Hayden Christensen right now, um, people are flipping out like he is the reason. And this is why sometimes I can't stand the Internet, because it's <laughs> like unbelievable that people could look at the faults of the film and somehow land on it's him. Right. Liam Neeson, bad acting. Natalie Portman, bad acting. Sam Jackson, bad acting. MTV Music Video Movie Award winning actor Ewan McGregor. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's just like, it's just ridiculous to me that... There's so much more, you know, the problems with the prequels are so much deeper. They're buried so deep in the production that by the time you get to the, to the act, it's kind of like, it's kind of like buying a brand new car, right? And you buy this car because it's, uh, let's, let's just, I'm just going to randomly say, pick a problem. Like, let's say. You buy this car because it's good for the environment and gets great gas mileage and stuff. And then, like, down the road, you discover that, I don't know, there's some uh, software inside the car that is making it get bad gas mileage and pollute the environment unless it's hooked up to an emissions test program. And then it runs good, right? (laughs) And let's just say, in this hypothetical, it's a Volkswagen. Um, and, And you look at it and you go... Man, this is ruining the environment. It's bad for my gas mileage. It's lying to the emissions control people in the government. <sighs> the paint job sucks. <laughs> right. No, the paint job's not the problem. The problem is much deeper than that. It's buried somewhere deep inside at its core. The problem with these prequels are were that George Lucas had such a singular vision that he refused to allow anyone else to step in and say, dude, dude, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he was so, he was so, um, almost, and, and I almost don't even blame him for it because at some point I think, uh, he just ended up on a pillar where no one could, would question him. You know, we hear about famous, uh, famous musicians and actors and things, people like Elvis Presley or people like Michael Jackson, right. You know, where like. Michael Jackson ended up doing all these ridiculous, crazy drugs, and it ended up killing him. And you look at it, and you go, well, why didn't anyone around him say, Michael, right. dude, right. dude? Well, it's because you don't – he's Michael Jackson. Right. You don't – he's the pill. he's on this pedestal. You don't question him. And uh, I think that uh, to some extent, we as fans and Hollywood in general and the world kind of put George on a bit of a pedestal. And when he said – you know what would be great? We could make a, a stupid-looking, uh, klutzy CGI alien right. who talks like a racist black man, uh, and, you know, it'll be great. 
Right, and people are like, all right, you're the yeah. genius. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, yes, George. That's, yes. Right, you're the genius. Yes. And nobody stopped and went, George, no, dude. Right. Dude. Right. There's nobody to give the dude, dude speech. And I, you know, and I don't think that. <laughs> I like that, the dude, dude speech. Yeah, and I don't think, uh, so I don't think it's Caden Christensen's fault. I think that at some level, if you're if you're working off a crappy script, and you're acting against, you know, a, a stick with a ping pong ball on the end of right. it, representing the CGI alien, right. you know. And, and at the end of the day, all of the actors around you are yeah. given bad directing yeah. directions from the director. Bad directing directions from the director. Yeah, that's, no, that's actually good. accurate, though. Yeah, that's like that's the directing but, version of the dude dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you've got all these things going wrong, like, I almost wonder, you almost look at it and you go, how could someone in those movies have given a good performance. Yeah, it actually makes what Ewan McGregor did remarkable. Right. <laughs> right. It makes it, we, we suddenly look and go, I get it. He's the dude that did Shakespeare for 30 years. Exa- yeah. And you know what? And I'll also, I'll also like, say... Like, you know what the truth is? Like, when he dies, we're going to look back and think, Right, like this dude was Sir Patrick Stewart, Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Ewan McGregor. Like, they're except sir, he, except like they're Sir for a reason. Right, but the difference is, the difference between Ewan McGregor and all of those Sirs is that Ewan McGregor has decided to take that talent and make movies about drug addicts and criminals. Right. And nefarious topics. Yeah. You know, whereas like Patrick Stewart makes Othello. Right, know, yeah. Or... Um, yeah, but we forget, like they all come out of the they all come out of like the, the British theater, like the Royal British Theater, having played Hamlet, Othello, right. Shakespeare, and Ewan McGregor is one of those dudes, right? Like as good as Natalie Portman is, she's not one of those dudes. Yeah, and the, even Liam Neeson isn't one of those, right? Dudes. And the difference is, is exactly that. You know, you're, Patrick right. Stewart makes Camelot. Ewan makes train spotting. Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't it doesn't change the quality. Right. Just they just have Yeah. You know, Ewan just wants to show his wiener in movies. Sometimes he does. And sometimes he does. At least George had the sense to to look at Ewan when Ewan was like, "Do you think there's a scene where Obi-Wan could get naked?" And George was like, "Dude. Dude." Dude. <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> of dude, dude, it's time to let the audience know that like we're kind of naked tonight. Yeah. Um, we don't have AMC mic, but also we've opted not to hook the computer and stuff up to the mixing board and everything. Um, we're moving into a new home. The, People don't realize. The only sound effect we have tonight is this. That's a good one. I have a bell. That's a good one. Um, so if anyone gives a correct answer this evening. So people don't know this, but we're actually about to move into our new home. We're about to have an actual studio <laughs> where we where we have a, a table with place, this stuff. A yeah. permanent place with these mics and, the, and such. And so um, we're still like the reason we've been hit or miss together. on being being consistent every week is actually related to that. Yeah, and we bought the wrong mixing board on accident. Like, if you're looking for a mixing thing. board, if you're looking them. for a mixing board, we'd love to sell this one and buy one that's twenty dollars more expensive than the one we bought. Right, because that <laughs> fixes our that's problem. All we needed because that's what we need. But um, but so here's the thing: um, we're not going to do music. And all the segments in between segments and stuff like that. We're just going to kind of go old school the way that we used to do it. And just move from segment to segment about like the stuff we care about. What's in the news right now. Uh, and so we are going to uh, take some time for Slinky to hit me. And what he's going to hit me with well, is... Well, hang uh, on. Wait, wait, wait. What? Well, I well, just... 
You didn't say we were messing with the platform. No, we're, well, we're not really messing with the platform. I um, knew we weren't having sweet jams, but... Well, I'm just gonna... Here. <laughs> oh, that's good. We can play some things. Yeah, we'll do this. Okay, that's good. There we go. So we still have yeah. some goods. We still have some goods. It's not much, but that's what you know, we got. Yeah, we got so. some stuff. We got, anyway. listen, we have some tools <laughs> in our toolkit. You know, AMC Mike leaves and everything falls apart. Uh, if that is true. <laughs> that is so true. Anyway, so anyway. Allow me to hit you. Hit me. Hit me with some box office numbers. Number five. Uh, brand new this week, Everest. Uh, bringing in $7.2 million. That's its first week total. Opening on only 545 screens. That's actually a pretty decent pretty decent little total. It's because those screens are IMAX screens. Yeah? So they're making twice the money on the ticket. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Everest opened on small. Like, I think the, the smallest screen it can open on is a big D. Really? Yeah, I mean, for now. Like, they're going to release, like, a, a regular. But for right now, it is, like, ginormo. I did not know that. Yeah. You know, it looks good to me. I'm not surprised to see it in the top five. You know, it looks... Uh, my problem is it kind of looks a little bit like every other movie that's like that. I realize yeah, that it's just, its that own, just it's sounded its really ridiculous, thing. but... It's its own thing. The, the, like, hey, I'm a... There, there was a tragedy. We're going to tell the story about it, and there's going to be sweeping huge landscapes and avalanches. Right. And you know what's weird is, like, that's an interesting story to tell because, in this case, it's true. It's right. a true story. I always um, hesitate, though, whenever the trailer includes the line, no joke, the line, it's the storm of the century, and it's headed right for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> really? Though, is, it is, without a doubt, like... Like, the tragedy that is depicted in this particular film is well-known, well-documented. The climbers go up, they're well-prepared, all the worst things happen, you know. It's interesting because these movies keep getting made because that still so captivates us as humans. Right. Like, we're captivated by the idea that, like, people go up Everest still and die, and it's Everest. Right. Like, we've flown around it, we know what it is, we see it, we know which parts are dangerous. Gonna climb them and anyway. It's still the number one extreme yeah, like, sports destination. Like we know that we know that like on Everest storms just appear. Like it's so big that like there it, isn't it a warning. Like yeah. no one can say to you like now this is a bad day to climb Everest. Right. It might be an awesome day at first. Trails are marked by dead bodies. Right. Turn yeah. left at the guy in the red coat. Right. Exactly. You know, like, right. Like and that's true. Like that's what's true. Crazy. And he's always been there. Right. You know. And so. They don't pack the dead bodies out. No. Like, they just stay frozen. 
on Well, it's because if you tried to truck them down, you would die too. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, this is the thing. It's like these movies capture our attention, and it looks like the kind of movie that I'll one day make the mistake of watching on Netflix, and then we'll be having lunch the next day, and I'll be like, I'm a little bummed out. You know, I watched Everest. <laughs> and you'll be like, why would you do that? I'll go, it was so gorgeous. Right? Right. <laughs> so. Number four, The Perfect Guy. Bringing in $9.8 million. It's two-week total, $41.5 million. Now, you're probably wondering, how does how does it go from $41 million to, to just $9 million? Well, The Perfect Guy is, unfortunately, it falls victim to the culture wars. Uh, the Perfect Guy is, it's a thriller. It's kind of along the veins uh, of all of those sort of movies where, like, the girl meets you know like one person meets another person who seems really awesome and then suddenly they're being stalked and hunted and it's right you know single white female except in this case it's you know single black male and it's that middle word that represents the big change in box office because uh um it was the only film targeted at black audiences and so um so that group went yeah to see it when it opened and that's all right and now that they've been you know they don't have to go again that's Sorry. right um, number three, The Visit. This was M. Night Shyamalan, Ding yes. Dong, his new grandma movie, $11.6 million, bringing its two-week total to $42.6 million. Um, no surprise there, really. You know, I didn't want to see it, but I was kind of bummed that I didn't want to see it. Like, I still want him to do stuff that I care about. Yeah. You know, um, uh, never has a director fallen so hard. From Grace, I think. It's been a long time since I can remember a director fall like he has. Yeah, I think, like, here's the deal. Fell, not because he made bad movies, but because he made, like, too, like, his films were too artur. Well, but he did make, I mean, you know, he, part of his two, the two things that have really impacted his career the most are, um... Uh, Avatar, Avatar, the you know the last, the last Airbender. Airbender, and uh, the film before that was the one where the the you know it was Mother the Nature. trees, right? Yeah, like. But here's the deal: what plenty the of directors. I don't know, but like, here's the deal: the dude made, um, signs, unbreakable. He made Unbreakable. He made The Sixth Sense, and he made uh, you know the one where the people are like living in the old time, The Village, right? Like. He made those movies. They're incredible. Yeah. He can have a couple stinkers, but for some reason, but he didn't. it's he had, not okay. Like, for some reason, he had Lady in the Water. But people liked the Lady in the Water. It was just that they were burned now. So they just didn't go as much. Well, his films depended a little too heavily on the twist at the end, too. And so there was kind of. Right. There was kind of like, is he going to imnite us? Right. Yeah. So, so anyway, I it, my, here's my point that I'm making is. When you look at the collective body of work, the collective body of work is not only unbalanced on the good side, right? The good stuff outweighs the bad, right? Which I think we would agree. Number two, the bad's not so bad. Av- the Last Airbender is. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna To ruin a career? Like, you believe that the well, dude no, 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 who made no. Unbreakable... Deserves to be known as a bad director? No, no, that's not what I... I okay, saying. okay, that's what I thought you were saying. I, you're saying they aren't so bad. I'm saying that one film is so bad. Okay, but what I meant was they're not so bad 
that they undo unbreakable signs, the village, like the six, like those are so good. They're not, they're not kind of good. Like right. they're really great. Like there's moments in the village that make me tear up from emotion because it matters. Like the, the, the actual storyline in the village matters, right? Yeah. Science is the same way. See, here's the problem is when you look at his career though, like his best film arguably is either Unbreakable or Sixth Sense. Right, yeah. I would say Sixth Sense, but... Um, his his most well-known, for sure, is the Sixth Sense. So, but if you listen, I'm going to read his direct, his the list of the films he's directed, from okay. oldest to newest, and tell me, I mean, if you sure. disagree yeah. with no, me, no, tell me, okay. but I believe this They're exact in order? list, they are in order of best to worst. Okay. And you'll okay. see that he does have some stinkers at, here at okay. the end. Okay, The Sixth Sense. Great. Unbreakable. Great. Signs. Great. The Village. Very good. It's not quite great. Like I said, it, it was good to me. It was great to me, but I could understand. It was slower than the previous three. Lady in the Water. Not quite as good as The Village. The Happening. That's the Mother Nature it's movie. It's a poopy fest. The Last Airbender. People hated I didn't see. After Earth. We forget that one. Completely awful, right? I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot he did so, after her. Truth be told. Okay, so you're right. He's 50-50. Right, so he's 50-50 and like, trending poorly. Not not counting the visit. Okay. He's 50-50. So, I don't know. All right, okay, okay, okay. I mean, I wasn't trying to argue with you. I'm actually No, but a little... it's good. We're just looking at the numbers. Right. Uh, that doesn't make me think you're you're a hater. I just, I get it. I forgot, man, he did I after her. after Earth, Yeah, too. that's no good. Yeah. So there you go. Number two, Black Mass. This is the uh, the new Whitey Bulger, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Did you see Conan O'Brien this week was doing his own ver? He was like, "We've got our own mobster who's been uh, who's been giving our studio trouble." Tidy Whitey Bulger, <laughs> big fat guy, just tidy whiteys, carrying a baseball bat. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I watched that that documentary uh-huh. about him. And it was so good. Yeah. It was so fantastic that I'm definitely going to see Black Mass. Well, Black Mass, ooh, goodness, brought in $22.6 million uh, its opening weekend. That's not a bad number. No, and I'll tell you, one thing you can tell is you know how, like, Johnny Depp has all his haters that say he only knows how to be Johnny Depp? Like, it is clear from the trailers here, he's channeling a different person. Like, nobody's nobody's going to be like, it was like Captain Jack Sparrow, but in the Irish mob. Right. Well, I have I have always been the person who said that his problem is that he chooses too often to right. be th- to be that character, yeah. not that he's not capable of others. Right. Yeah. That's because good. I mean, That's if you look at his film it. career, he plays the Jack Sparrow, the um, the Edward, the Edward, the um, the Edward Scissorhands, the. Uh, yeah, the, no, no, the no, guy either. who wrote the guy who wrote Peter Pan in that movie, like yeah. he plays that little boy in a man's body kind of right. thing so often, and it's so the right. same. Even right. when it's different, it's the same. Um, but it's his choice, yeah, because he can also choose right. to to do Whitey well, Bulger. Well, yeah, I like this movie. It looks good. Right. It looks disturbing, but it looks good. Yeah. Uh, so twenty two point six million dollars. Uh, and the number one this uh, this weekend was the Maze Runner, the Scorch Trials, bringing in thirty point three million dollars. I almost want to watch the first one now. 
because I didn't see it. Yeah. In order to see this one, because this one looks so much better. The first one's good. If you ever want to see it on Netflix, do we know? It's not on Netflix. I have it. If you ever want to come over and I'd like to see it and watch it, you're welcome. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd let you. I'd let you borrow it, but I don't think you've got the Blu-rays. I don't. Yeah. So anyway, so there you go. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, what do we want to do next? I mean, we can do anything. Like we're not hampered by music. Sure. Segments. We can talk about anything that we want. Like, while you're thinking about what we're going to do next, I'll talk about the fact that I saw that Whitey Bulger documentary. Yeah, let's talk about um, that. I'll tell you this. It was absolutely fascinating when you break down, like, what was really interesting was that this this documentary breaks down the trial of Whitey Bulger. And what you find, like, so much of this is you start to think, like, right, how could this guy, like, the most infamous mob boss in the history of Boston, um, go unprosecuted, like, when he personally murdered 19 people? Now, when you think about it, that's a lot of murdering. Right. Like, to be directly, I was in a room with a person who saw me murder a person. Yeah. Right? Like, these are direct first-person accounts that are like, then Whitey hit the man in the head with a brick until he was dead. Or, then Whitey shot the man in the chest. Right? Then Whitey strangled the woman with his tie. Like, this is a dude who went unprosecuted for murders that people were aware of. Right. And what it turns out was that when you uncover everything, you find out that like when he was younger and first getting out of prison, there was it, this, I thought this was fascinating. He was in prison during one of the, the biggest Irish uprising, like two different factions of Irish people killing each other. And they killed like 30 people, right? There were like two rival gangs. Mm-hmm. Well, he doesn't get killed. Because he's in prison when this happens. So he comes out, and everyone that he used to hang out with is pretty much dead. (laughs) And there's, like, this new mob boss, and he goes to the new mob boss, and he says, hey, like, we need to broker peace with the other side or everyone's going to be dead. So this mob boss basically goes to the other family and says, we need to broker peace, but part of this peace is that we are going to put Whitey in charge. Because Whitey's a bit of a businessman and he knows how to do this. And they're like these early accounts of this other Irish gang that's like kind of they're absorbing into two. And he's saying, look, you're going to get more money. You're going to get more territory. Right. Uh, but Whitey's in charge. And they basically say at that time, we need to kill this guy or he's going to be the worst mafia man in the history of Boston. <laughs> right? They, they, like they think they think that all the way back then. Well, the first thing that he does, apparently, is he goes to the FBI and he turns into an informant. (laughs) And so all these years, he's an informant helping the FBI get anyone they want on their payroll or putting people on his payroll. So what he does is he basically, over time, incriminates the men that could incriminate him. He starts by being, I'll be your resource. I'm your patsy. Wow. And then over time, he's pulled them into enough illegal stuff that now they cannot prosecute him. So, like, he goes around for, like, 20 years in Boston killing a person a year. (laughs) You see what I mean? And so, like, at the trial, what comes out is he starts talking about, like, and, and, you know, like, three of his closest people basically go on trial and say, "Um, yeah, I was there when he murdered all these people. And here are the FBI agents that were part of this. And here is just how deep the corruption went. Like there was – he was literally 
by taking his time and by being an informant, he was able to become unarrestable. Wow. Because anyone who could have arrested him, he had somehow figured out how to incriminate. That's you know, crazy. Oh, you're trying to catch this criminal? Yeah, let me help you. Right? I'll help you catch this criminal. Um, all you have to do is look the other way while I like extort money from these businesses. Well, yeah, I definitely want to catch this murderer. Oh, crap. I just looked the other way while he extorted some businesses. Now I can't <laughs> prosecute him because he'll tell people I did that. You see? Uh, so it it really was it was it was completely fascinating to think that this could happen, but it totally did. Wow! And I I loved it. Like the entire documentary, I thought was um, really fantastic. And then when that was over, I tried to watch the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I was just too sleepy. <laughs> so what, what brought that on? The the new uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja well, Turtles. Well, what brought it on was just that I didn't see it. And I had a hard time believing that it was going to be bad. Do you remember, like, the uh -huh. trailers? I saw the trailers, and I thought, okay, if you can get over your fanboyness, then you might be able to think this movie was an action-packed, fun thing. And so I do want to see the Turtles to make my own... I want to make my own decision. Like, there are some moments in those trailers, like, particularly where they're, like, sliding down the ice and swinging each other and, like, right. using their shells as weapons and right. stuff like that, that I think, like, that's just really cool. Yeah. And I heard enough good about it that I didn't hear so much bad about it that I think I have to stay away from it. Well, you know, Carrie and I both kind of felt like it was not as bad as it should have been. <laughs> sure. Um and I actually think that sure. the major mistake to that movie is the art direction. Like, the well, there's okay, there's two major mistakes, but the one major mistake is the art direction. Like, the turtles just look dumb, um, and uh, and it's hard to get past that, you know. And it's of hard course. to get yeah. past. Well, it's hard to get past Megan Fox too. Um, but they do this weird thing where they choose as it's as this movie's source material. They choose to go with, of all things, the 1980s cartoon. Right. And and that's weird. Right. Um, and so, you know... It's hard to make a love letter about something and not use the best source material. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and so that's strange. I really felt like, though, one of the problems with redesigning the way the Turtles looked is that when you look at every version... You know, the Turtles have been redone, you know, seven or eight times Yeah, of now. course, yeah. And every time they're redone, the one thing that is pretty consistent is how the turtles look. Everything else changes. The way the humans look changes. But the turtles always pretty much look the same. And the, so the problem is, had this been the first live-action adaptation, had this been the movie they made in 87 uh, or whenever it was that the, the old original one you know, came out, it probably would have fared much better. You know, the the source material it was based on, the cartoon, that was the only source material most people were familiar with. Um, there was no sort of pre-established right. pre sense that the turtles shouldn't look different. You know, like, they would be establishing, it's okay to change how they look. Right. Because that, you know, there was nothing it, But they did it that way for so long. Right, that it makes it really hard to, to sure. deal with. And then the other, the other real issue with it is that... Um, Somehow or another, they travel from New York City to the mountains in like five minutes by using a uh, a secret tunnel underground. It's really bizarre. 
Ah, that doesn't bother me that much. But it's weird. Sure. It's strange when you watch it. It was funny. Like, I was hanging out with Ashley Rayburn, our producer, yeah. uh, the other day. And uh, shout out to producer Ashley Rayburn. Um, I don't know what he does for us anymore. I don't either. But I feel like... I feel like he's our producer he's forever. He's produced us. Yeah, he's our producer forever. Anyway. He's a pro, and we're deuces. Yeah, I feel like that's a fact. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I was hanging out with him yesterday, and... I had the moment to to tell him, like, um, my wife and I have been going through Doctor Who. And we just got to the point where, like, a pretty significant change has happened. Like, the the companions that we were watching have left forever. Right? Right. And I said to him, man, we don't know what we're going to do. Like, Amy and Rory are gone, like, forever. Which always happens. You know, I mean, that's not a spoiler. Like, he... At some point, the companions go away, but they're gone. You know, no chance of bringing them back. And he goes, well, that shouldn't bother you at all. And I was like, but why? Like, it does bother me. And he was like, well, you know, you shouldn't care about Amy leaving because she was like such a dumb companion. And it reminded me of why he doesn't like her as a companion. And it comes down to an episode where she picks a lock. And he thought, wait a minute. This woman has no lock picking experience. How did she like take a, you know, a, a hairpin out of her hair and pick this lock? That's impossible. Do you know what I love is that he's like, oh yeah, a police box traveling through time. Right? That's possible. So that's what I told him. I was oh, an like, electronic screwdriver that can do whatever I decide. Yeah, that's possible. But a woman picking a lock, no. Right. That's it. Ruined <laughs> it for him. And he was like, that's just horrible writing. And I can't get over it. And so I brought that up to him. I was like, wait a minute. Like, you believe in timey-wimey. Like, right. Like, that when things don't make sense in the show, that the doctor just looks at the camera and says, eh, ah, look, sometimes things don't make sense. Like, in fact, sometimes they purposefully break the rules by having the doctor say, come on, today it can be different. Like, he'll literally say that. Like, the idea being that, even in the world of the doctor, miracles occur that even he can't explain. Right. Like in, in all of his infinite wisdom of the universe, sometimes today can be different, right? And you love that. But Amy can't pick a lock with a hairpin. No, no, no. It's got to ruin everything for you, right? That's kind of how I feel about the turtles. Like, I believe that if turtles can be mutated by slime underground and subsequently trained in ninja skills by a rat, then maybe there's an underground tunnel that gets them to the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Well, there, I, as I get older, I can just get less critical. The other, the other kind of real story problem is that this movie, the movie never quite decides what to do with shredder as a bad guy. That's too bad. Cause they put a lot of time into having a good shredder. Right. Well, and I mean, then it's he turns, James Woods, right? No, 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 no. It's uh, well, it's who you're thinking of is not James Woods. He's the poor man's James Woods. Yeah, it's the guy who I um, know who you're talking about. I forget his uh, name now. Uh, I forget his name now. See, they would have done great if they would have hired James Woods. <laughs> that would have made the whole movie. William better. Fickner. Yeah, Fickner. And I like Fickner. I want right. to. I want to go on the record as saying I like Fickner. I love Fickner. He's actually like he's completely legit, 
And just because we can't remember his name doesn't make him B-list. Right. Like, he, he's done so much For those much of you at stuff. home who want to know who he is, the simplest way to tell you is if you have seen Batman uh, The Dark Knight, which is the movie with Heath Ledger as the Joker. Right. He is the, he is the bank manager from the opening of that film that pulls out the shotgun and starts shooting back at the Joker. Right. Um, and it's it, a weird, tiny little thing for him to do. Right. And, but he is just a stellar actor. And the problem is you'll notice when you watch this movie, Rob, that he is the shredder and then he's not the shredder. Hmm. And then somebody else is the shredder and it's unnecessary for the other person to be the shredder. Cause it would have just made more sense for it to just be William Fickner. And so it's, it's weird. And so it kind of feels like they just were never quite sure what they wanted to do. That's a shame. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Right. So, but maybe I won't watch. Having it s- well, no. Having said all of that, Carrie and I both said it's not as bad as it could have been. Okay. It's okay. Well, I'll give it a shot at a time when I'm just hanging out. My six-year-old Dakota loves it. Sure. So she thinks it's she thinks it's very funny. Fair. She likes Jar Jar Binks. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Well, what do we? What's next? Well, we can. Uh, we can we talk. got any news? There's a little bit of news. Let's talk some news. All right. This is old school. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, um, it say without the music, it saves us so much time. Yeah. Without all our breaks, we're only at forty minutes. Wow. So got wow. twenty minutes to go I'm if st- we want, or we can end early. I'm gonna start. Okay, we're done. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, Hugh Jackman went on record as saying that he wants Tom Hardy to be the next Wolverine. I'm going to go on record as saying I think it's perfect, but I happen to be a huge Tom Hardy fan. Yeah. I Har- find I Hardy think it's is so dad gum versatile. Like, he does not in any way get the respect he deserves. And let me say this, which is funny. He does actually get the respect he deserves within the industry. He doesn't get it with fans. Like, you don't have tons of people, like, clamoring for Tom Hardy films. But that's weird when you think, like, he was incredible in Inception. Yeah. Um, His acting as Bane in the Batman film doing so much with just his eyes and his body, right? Like, you can hate that movie, but, like, you can't hate what Tom Hardy did in that movie. Right. You know, like, Tom Hardy was, like, just you couldn't take your eyes off of what he was doing. And then you think he was in, uh, what's that one I like so much where he was in with Shia LaBeouf and they played the Moonshine Runners? Uh, oh, uh, with Lawless. The guy, Lawless, with the dude that I told you would blow up, and then he blew up for a little bit and disappeared. Yeah, he blew up and it was not. I don't know what happened. That guy was supposed to be the he guy. He caught the ball. The guy from the Chicago it. Code. Yeah. Anyway, the dude from the Chicago Code who right now should own Hollywood. Yeah. Because he had the chance. I mean, he he did several. He was in the um. What was the big we killed Osama bin Laden movie? I started to say Seal Team Six, but that wasn't the name of it. It was uh, Blacklight or other one, Black. Anyway, we how quickly we forget all the Oscars people tried to throw at it. Um, anyway, we went and saw it and were terribly <laughs> underwhelmed. But he was incredible in it. Anyway, my, my point isn't him. 
because his name's Michael something. He's got like a Polish sounding last name. Um, I don't remember other than his name's Michael something. But um, but anyway, Lawless, Tom Hardy is incredible in Lawless. You see, and he's incredible in Inception. Right. So I I just think it's such a good fit because one thing that the characters have is all of his characters that he played so far have an inherent toughness. And he was just in Mad Max. The movie was Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty. And you're thinking the guy's name is Jason Clark. Jason Clark. Why did I think it was Michael Clark? He's in Everest. (laughs) Oh, good. Good, 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 good. Well, he needs to be. Yeah. He needs to be doing stuff. Hopefully he's got a serious part in Everest. Oh, you want to know? I could tell you why, uh, why he disappeared. Why? All right. So he went from Zero Dark Thirty. To a role in The Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Okay. Good he, move. He was incredible in Zero Dark Thirty, by and the way. And then he played one of the bad guys in White House Down. Uh, should have been a good move, but that film underperformed. Yeah, I was going to say, bad move for him. He doesn't need to play bad guys. Right, but every everything about... I mean, you know, White House Down, that's the one with, uh, with Channing Tatum. Right, yeah. Everything about that movie should have been huge. Yes, and I saw that movie. And it was, frankly, it, it was better it was than... pretty entertaining. I thought it was better than, than Olympus, Olympus Has Fallen. Fallen. Yeah, me but, too. I liked White House Down. Um, and, then, uh, and then after that, he did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, okay. which is a little niche mm-hmm. But then he made the mistake of playing John Connor in Terminator Genesis. And oh. everyone attached to Terminator Genesis has suffered. I didn't see it. I didn't know he yeah. played John Connor. And then he did. What a great idea, though. Yeah. If the movie was good, what a perfect John Connor. And then he did not work again until Everest. So. Wow, what a perfect John Connor. Yeah. And I, in theory, I didn't see the film, so right. like I can't, I can't speak to it. But like Terminator Genesis, what a good idea for him. Right. Like, dude, I'll reprise this. Like down-to-earth, gritty hero guy behind the scenes. Those are the those are the rules he should play. Like, his turn in Zero Dark Thirty is the guy who's tortured too many people because it saved lives, and now he knows torture is wrong, but he's saving lives. saving lives. So the only thing he can really do is retire and leave. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like that was amazing. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, that was amazing. So, anyway, back, back to Tom Hardy. Yes, he gets my nomination, too. Here's my problem with Tom Hardy. And it's my problem. Yeah. My first true experience with Tom Hardy was when he played evil young Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek Nemesis. And my imagery of Tom Hardy has never recovered. Mm. And I, it's my issue. But right. I cannot watch him and not think about that horrible film and how horrible he was in it. You know, and everybody's got a bad movie. You know, yeah, you like, got a thing. And but but the, I mean, you know, even, gosh, everybody makes bad movies. You know, yeah, I mean, everybody makes bad movies. At some point, you're going to be in a, a stinker. Uh, the problem was for me, my first that experience with him, it was first. Yeah, he stunk first. Right. So most people didn't saw him first in Inception. Yeah. So and in Inception, it was like this or, dude is like or, really um, quirky. Was it the wrestler? Maybe he's in the rest. He was in something where he bulked up prior right. to Inception. Prior to being Inception. But I can't remember. I don't it remember. It's like some boxing anyway. movie or something. So anyway, that's good news. Yeah. That's um, good news. Other, other big news, you still are who you choose to be. 
Duncan Studios has added new scenes to the Iron Giant for its remastered release at the end of mm. this month. Uh, Brad Bird's 1999 animated classic, The Iron Giant, is returning to select theaters for a one-day release on September 30th called uh, The Iron Giant, the Signature Edition. It's been completely digitally remastered, cleaned up, and has two new sequences that were actually written and storyboarded for the original film. But the only reason they were cut was because they ran out of money. Okay. And so uh, when Warner Brothers decided to re-release the film for its, its uh, I guess it's, it's an anniversary. Yeah. Uh, they decided to um, they decided to go ahead and finish those well, sequences. We don't need to get into our love of the Iron Giant because it runs deep here, yeah. right? Like we're all agreed, one of the greatest. Um, yeah, the story is so touching and important. Um, everyone should see it, and everyone's kids should see it. And I am actually going to try to see if I can be free that day. Yeah, I because agree. we'll probably have to drive to Atlanta or Knoxville to see it. Yeah, I would think. I mean, maybe we get lucky. You know, now that we've got that, you know, the big D here in town um, is the largest in the state right now. So our Cleveland Big D Theater is the largest. Um, so maybe, maybe we could get it, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Right. Uh, last week we saw the release of the first trailer for uh for the jungle book okay good let's okay let's go there because this piggybacks off of when we had our big discussion it bums me out amc mike's not here about the necessary remember when we talked about like with cinderella right the necessary move to update these films and not have them be something new remember we were like why do we need a reboot well, we actually need a reboot because kids grow up with different media. Sure. But the stories are still important, and they're still good stories, and the characters are important, right? I'm going to apply that same logic to The Jungle Book, but what I'm going to say is The Jungle Book looks a hundred million times, if I could use a little kid terminology, one gazillion times better than Cinderella. It. I I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. They would have you, to release such a horrific trailer now to make me not go. I got to tell you, I was so concerned and hesitant about it. Right. And uh when I saw this trailer, I was like I I my I ruined my pants a little bit. Yeah. Like it looks crazy good. Yeah. And what's really neat is uh the trailer does this really cool thing where they trick you. Yes, and you think it's yes, you think it's his mom or or just doing some the narration, sort of, one of the village narration, women. right? Yeah, and then at the very end, and and you watch it going, okay, I could tell it's the Jungle Book, but like, are they gonna? How are they gonna do this with the animals not talking or whatever? Blah blah blah. And then it gets to the end, and it's not his mom; it's one of the animals talking. Yeah, and you're like, oh, they were just waiting to like smack us in the face. Yeah, and it's stellar. It's so good. And I want to point out that back when we had our Cinderella discussion, remember how we said Cinderella um, did it did it right in a lot of areas, but failed in a couple of critical areas. Right. And remember how we said like it actually brought some brand new nuances to like where her dad 
really set up the stepmom for failure. Yeah. And how the stepmom was a complex character and all that. And like right. like the entire thing, right? And and like it was beautiful. But its failure it was, was incredible. The failure right? was never had any sort of fun wonder. It messed up the wonder when it came to the mice and, right. and the birds and like that little bit. It didn't do enough of that like it kept it dark too much. Yeah. Right? And we don't need that. We do need the remake. We do need these great actors and actresses. We do need the amazing special effects and cinematography. We don't need these to be dark. Right. Okay? What I loved about this Jungle Book trailer was it looked exciting. It looked like fun. It looked like they took some cues from uh, the cartoon Tarzan in how they had him Mowgli moving through the trees. Right. And I'm just going to say, like, John Favreau, bro. Right. Director of the first two Iron Men, like uh, star swingers. director of Chef, yeah, swingers, like yeah, just it's stellar, knocked it out of the park, yeah. And you've got some great, great casting in here. You know, Scarlett Johansson is the voice of of Ka the snake. Yeah. So um, this thing is going to be off the chain. Who's playing? Uh, who's the voice of the bear? Baloo. Yeah. Bill Murray. Oh, so good already. Yeah. And who's and, the, who's Bagheera? Ben Kingsley. Oh my gosh. And then who's the who's going to be Scar or not is it it's not Scar who's the the tiger? What's the name of the tiger? King Louie. Oh no, but who is King Louie? King you know King Louie is the yeah, monkey. King Louie is the the orangutan. orangutan. yeah. Christopher Walken. Oh my good god. Wow. Well, who plays the who plays the tiger? Um You know it doesn't it doesn't say. The wolf, Raksha, is Lupita Nyong'o. Okay, okay, who's, okay. Who's pretty big right now. Yeah. So. Well, I wish we knew because the, obviously the tiger is the main bad guy. So if, if they have got all these other guys set up for all the other characters, then you know whoever's doing the tiger. I can't remember the tiger's name. Is it Ka? No, because the snake was Ka. Right, the snake is Ka. I don't remember the name of the tiger. Oh, it's Shere Khan. Shere Khan. Yeah. Yeah, I got half of it right. Idris Elba. Holy crap! Holy crap! I just yelled in my mic. Yeah. Hold, hold on. Holy crap! That's what. Forget about it. This is like the best movie already. Yeah. It's already the best. We're done with the big news. We're not doing any more big news. This is enough. Like, think about what you just said. All these actors directed by John Favreau with that incredible graphic animation that we saw in Cinderella. Forget about it's it. Gonna, I, I think it's going to be stellar. Yeah, I can't it's going to be so good. And, you know, uh, they've started doing, I don't know if you were aware of this, but Hollywood has started. There's this, it's called DA, D-A-R, D-A, I can't remember. It's Digital Audience something. And it's, uh, anyway, it's it's a measurement of, anticipation okay um and the idea is what they're doing is they monitor they monitor social media and right or somehow word of mouth and things like that the downloads of of trailers and stuff like that and right. basically what they're doing is they're monitoring trying to see how much people are waiting for this right the anticipation it's an anticipation rating yeah. and uh right now it is it is number one when oh, that yeah. trailer debuted last week it screamed to the dude i'll tell you what there's nobody working in Hollywood today that's better than Idris Elba. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I watched his freaking 
Luther is that it's untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you like, you, you wouldn't like it because it's dark cop. It's called digital audience rating. There you go. It's a measurement of fan engagement across all digital platforms relating to film. Well, there you go. So Jungle Book is, uh, listen to this. The Jungle Book's rating is 14,510. The second place one is the Point Break remake, and it's at 5,000. Yeah, forget so, yeah. about it. So, And that's even above, you know, you've got Hunger Games, Mockingjay is in yeah, there. Yeah, no, this this movie's off the charts. Yeah. This it movie's off the freaking fantastic. charts. Fantastic. Well, listen, we've got like five minutes before we hit an hour. Really? We've been just doing our thing like, you know, old school. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it too. So do we want to do a preview review of what's coming up this weekend? I think we ought to. Let's do a preview review before we sign off for the night. All right. And then we'll call it a night because this has been a good cast. We've missed you, AMC Mike. Yes. You know? Hey, real quick, while I... uh... Pull up just for our reference to yeah. be able to talk about it. While I pull up the stuff that that starts starts this weekend, mm-hmm. what do you think of the fact that they announced today that the uh, the next Men in Black film is probably not going to have Will Smith in it? You know what I've been saying is like I'm pretty ready actually for Will Smith to move on Go, to move on from acting. I kind of yeah. I kind of like. I'll tell you too. Like, and a part of this is. He's not good anymore, and he still tries to command the too high of a price. I, well, and here's the thing, and maybe this is unfair. I've got a real serious problem with this, like, knowing now for years and years and years that he cheats on his wife all the time. And that, like, they pretend to be okay with it. Like, because she says things like, Will's a grown man, and he'll do what he does just because they've got kids and she doesn't want to destroy the family. Right. Like and so now they're getting divorced or they're already divorced now. I don't remember which. And I'm just sort of like, bro, like you can tell he had a good marriage and like right. good kids and like okay, so all right, that's me and my morality and my issues, right? And I'm not saying like that some actor in Hollywood has to have those same things, right? You know what I mean? Like yeah. if him and his wife decided that they're going to have an open marriage, then that's what they decided. And I'm not, you know. But doesn't but it seem like they it seems didn't like decide he decided? That? Right, exactly. It seems like he decided to have an open marriage, and she decided not to destroy the family. Right. And I, but and I don't know that that was successful because it's just you gross. know when you look at Jaden, he seems pretty messed up. Right. Like to me, I mean, he attends weddings in white Batman costumes. Right. Like. It just, the whole thing seems wrong and gross to me, especially when you see, like, how much she clearly adored him and stuck by him for years. So that bums me out because I like The Fresh Prince. Right. And I liked plenty of his movies. But here's the thing is, you know the last good movie he made? I just want him to made? go. I want him to be done. The last good movie he made was, uh, maybe, if you want to count it, I Am Legend. Yeah, I Am Legend was good. 2007. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, before that, the movies the movies before that, The Pursuit of Happiness, bad. Hitch, bad. bad. Uh, I, Robot, yeah. uh, And then Bad Boys 2, and that's when you get back into where his, right. he was all right. So I just... But, but since I Am Legend, he did Hancock. Yeah. Seven Pounds. Men right. in Black 3, okay, that one was okay, but it had nothing to do with him. Right. Uh, After Earth. Yeah. Winter's Tale. 
focus. I mean, like yeah. most of these, we've not even heard. I'm of. just ready. I'm ready, and I, I would like him to just go home and fix his marriage. Yeah, and I don't have any right to get into anybody's life. You know what I mean? I'm not a perfect person. The world's not full of perfect people, but like, I, it just the whole thing's gross to me now. Yeah. So, you ready to preview review? I am, but I All can't right. do it unless you say it. It's time. Wait, 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 wait. Preview review. This is the part of the podcast where we have scoured the interwebs and done everything we can in hopes of finding out everything there is to know about the movie starting on Friday. Because it's how we do. We have watched the trailers. Yes. We have read the articles. Indeed. We've seen the reviews. Uh-huh. We've watched the commercials. Correct. We have done everything we can to pass judgment on these and movies. And we will. Except see them. Correct. And we may not. And we're going to tell you if we're not. And we're going to tell you if you should see them or not. Because we are that way. And we're professionals. Indeed. So don't try this at home, folks. First up, are you ready, my friend? Yeah, man. All right. First up is... Uh, dur, 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 Green Inferno. This is uh, Eli Roth's new weird horror film. Yeah. A group of student activists travel to the Amazon to save the rainforest and soon discover they're not alone and that no good deed goes unpub- unpunished. Um, I gotta tell you, I, I, I mean, I, I'm gonna just go first if you don't care. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, this movie looks like all of the worst things of Saw and the Ruins combined with Really flashy, sort of headache-inducing editing, right? Um, to make a film that nothing in the trailers make me want to go see, right? And in fact, the trailers don't even try to convey what's going on in the movie. Like the little, the two sentence write-up I just read you about what the film was—that's more information than any of the trailers convey because the trailers are mostly rapid images of the scenes of horror from the film. Right. And so, like, if, if the movie's so bad that the way to sell me on it is to show me people getting tortured or whatever. Right. You're not, there's nothing to sell there. So I, I just, I don't have high hopes for it. Um, I do, you know, Eli Roth is, is a interesting, he's an interesting director. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he, uh, he directed an episode of Hemlock Grove, which I loved. Um, he directed, you know, Hostel and Hostel 2, right. which kind of falls into this category of movies that I don't need to see. Yeah. Same with Cabin Fever. So, I don't know. I just, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm going to have to say I I hate this one. I'm going to give it a hate. I don't like Eli Roth, and I don't like these kind of movies. I don't like movies <laughs> that are, like, all about torturing people I don't over get, and I don't over like and over porn. again. I don't either. I don't even like the category. I don't like the category name. Right. Like, I don't like the fact that, like, people liked these kind of movies, right? Kind of starting with Saw, in a way. Saw like, was really Saw was sort of, like, the first one that got this moniker. I don't like the fact that there's a group of people who get so excited at watching people be slowly killed in weird ways that they came up with the name torture porn. Right. Like, those are two words that don't need to go together. Like, they, <laughs> they, these are words that oughtn't to be. Yeah. In the world, these are both words that cause a lot of destruction. 
Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I just I'm not I'm not for it, and I'm I'm not gonna see it. All right. Next up, the intern, seventy year old widower, seventy year old widower. Ben Whitaker has discovered that retirement isn't all it's cracked up to be. So he seizes an opportunity to get back in the game by becoming a senior intern at an online fashion site founded and run by uh, Jules Osten. I don't know if apparently that name should matter to us. This one stars Robert De Niro, Anne Hathaway, and Rene Russo. Yeah. um, And then a bunch of young comedians from cable shows. Yeah. What do you think? Well, here's what I'm going to say, because my answer may surprise you, uh, and maybe it won't. I'm going to give it a great. I've been actually seeing, they've done a good job with the marketing, so I've seen a lot about this film. Um, and I'm happy with the way De Niro is embracing his oldness. He could be playing grandpas. Like, it's so cool to see him start to, like, I mean, you're talking about a dude who I think is an Academy Award winner. I, I think he, I think he is. I don't know that he is, um, but I think he was for Taxi Driver. Um, and so, like, he actually won uh, for The Godfather Two. Right, Godfather Two. He got supporting role. I knew he was nominated. And then he also won for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Raging Bull. Okay, so but he's been nominated a, a right. Bunch so of think times. about this: this dude was Raging Bull. This dude was Taxi Driver. He was Cape Fear. This dude was Cape Fear. This dude was the Godfather, the Deer Hunter. And now he's Meet the Fockers, and... Um, he's about to be Bad Grandpa. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, like, what I love is that as he got older, he didn't say, I was this other thing, and so I'm going to just be that, or I'm not going to do anything. Right? Like, I love the idea that he's going to do a fun movie where he lets Anne Hathaway be his boss. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like it's just, that's just fun. It's right. It's like the right thing in the world. Remember when we were talking about, like, Will Smith is going the wrong way? Like, I feel like De Niro's going the right way. Like, De Niro is <laughs> like, look, <clears throat> pretty soon people are going to find me, like, sitting. There's only two ways an old guy can go and, and us be completely celebratory right you go the route that de niro is going right now which i would say is also the way that like ian mckellen and like patrick stewart are going which is like like pretty soon you're gonna see robert de niro in a starbucks in his pajamas getting a cup of coffee right right and like that's okay kind of like ian mckellen and uh patrick stewart touring new york city in their bowler hats the other day and taking bromance pictures Right. Um, so, like, like you go that way where you don't take yourself as seriously anymore. And it's not stopping them from taking serious roles. Ian McKellen was just Magneto. Right. I mean, he's a lot of serious roles. Um, or you go the Bill Murray route where you become kind of, like, reclusive and you do some indie films. Again, because you've changed. You don't feel like you need to be Ghostbusters anymore. <laughs> right. So, like, for me, it's, like, kudos to De Niro for saying, like, yeah, I'll I'll be the name in Anne Hathaway's movie to help push her to the top of A-list. Right. That's good. Like, that's just good people. I feel like we could just hang out with him and he would be pretty normal, except way wealthy. Yeah. So, that's my thought. I give it a great. Well, I, too, am going to give this movie a great. Um, I actually think it looks funny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> 
the this is kind of funny. I the, I read a review today that actually said that um, uh, this film is interesting because it's at, it's marketed to a demographic of people who don't spend their time hating Anne Hathaway. Right, right. Because <laughs> there is a weird niche of Anne Hathaway dislikers. Right, yeah, and screw um, those people and too. Those, but Anne those Hathaway's people, fine. Those people are not my mom, who is going to think this movie is right. hilarious. Um, I also think that I also think that it's just kind of a little bit of a clever, clever idea. I mean, it feels a little bit like the internship from uh, a few years ago, the Google movie with uh, um, mm-hmm. with Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson and uh, Vince Vaughn. Yeah, but. Um, but that's okay. That movie was all right too, you know. And I, I think that, I think that this one will be funnier because, in some weird way, in some weird way, De Niro has kind of embraced being old in the same way. Uh, it's funny that you said that he's kind of aging like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and stuff. But it's also he's also embraced it in the same way that <clears throat> that. Uh, um, I started to say Estelle Getty, but that's not who I mean. I mean the other Betty White. Betty White, like where he goes, you know what? Old people getting making sex jokes is kind of funny. It's funny, like he gets it right. And uh, and so I think I think it's going to be great. Um, having said that, so we give it two grades. On a quick side note, I want to talk very very shortly about something kind of neat. I want to talk about the perception of age. Okay. In Hollywood. Okay. All right. You brought up Patrick Stewart, and we talked about Robert De Niro. And Ian McKellen. And we we talked, and I thought about Harrison Ford. Okay. All three of them are within one year of age with one another. Right. But when you think about them. Sure. Like, they don't seem to be the same age. No. At all. No. Like, Harrison Ford is still taking the same roles he took when he was in his 30s. I mean, even literally, he's playing mm-hmm. on Solo again. Right. Um, you know, but I mean, he was just Indiana Jones again. Yeah. He was, you know, he's still playing those roles. On the flip side of that, Ian McKellen has taken this sort of like, I'm now playing the Elder States. Elder States roles. roles, yeah. And then Robert De Niro is now playing the, I'm playing the fun retired guy roles. Right. And those are all three so different, but dude, they're the same grandpa age. Right, and I would say, in my opinion, uh, De Niro and Ian McKellen are doing it right. Or Patrick Stewart, you mean? Yeah. Well, no, De Niro. Like I, I like I like what De Niro's doing. Right. And I would, well, I think that like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are doing the same thing. Well, sure, sure, but the difference is though, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen is another five years older. Though. Right, he is older. He so is older. that's but all. Patrick Stewart. So let me just say, Patrick Stewart and Robert De Niro are doing it right. Whereas now, every single time that Harrison Ford puts out a film, he looks so he just old. Looks old because he's not playing a guy who's old. Right, I'm play hoping, a guy who's old, and we won't notice that you're so old. It is my sincere hope that in the new Star Wars film, they make some old jokes. They let him be old. That he lets him be old. Right. We'll see. Yeah. So. All right, and the last one coming out Friday, Hotel Transylvania 2, uh, directed by Gendy Tartakovsky. Hooray for him. Yeah, he is so... Savior of all things animated. He is so awesome. He directed the first Hotel Transylvania for, for yeah. those who did. Um, but this one stars Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg, Selena Gomez, and Kevin James. 
Um, they were all. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Selena Gomez was not, but the rest of them were all in the right. the first film. And uh, this is about Dracula and his friends who try to bring out the monster in uh, Dracula's half-human, half-vampire grandson yeah. in order to keep um, somebody named Mavis from leaving the hotel. Yeah, what are you going to give it? Uh, you know, I gave the first film a hate. Right. Um, because it didn't look good, it didn't look funny, right? It didn't look well animated, and Adam Sandler has ruined everything he's touched <laughs> in the last twelve years. Um, and then I saw it because my kid wanted to see it, and you know what? It was good. Um, and this, I'm going to say something that is both a compliment and a knock. This okay. look, this okay. looks like a second helping. Of the same. <laughs> right. So on one hand, I want to hate it because I feel like it's the same. On the other hand, right. you know, if, if somebody's cooked you a good steak, let yeah. them cook you another good steak. Right, but this isn't a steak. You're it's really a, excited it, but, about your cheeseburger. And what I was going to say was this isn't a steak. It's just a kid's movie, and so right. I'm going to grade it. Sure. I'm giving it a great for the same reason, you know. Um, Did you see the first the one? film? Yeah, yeah, Surprising. yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, it was better than it had to be. It's better than it should have been. Better than it should have been, and I give it a great because kids are going to like it, and that's who they're for, darn it. And it's coming out at the right time this time. Like and, it's like like last time it didn't come out at Halloween. I don't think no. like they missed it somehow. So like now they've timed it right, they've hit it right, and the stride is good. I give it a great. And can I tell you something kind of, uh, kind of fun about this one? Yeah, I didn't want to tell you till after we we hated or graded it because I didn't want to influence that. But but uh, they bring in in this film Andy Sand or and the Adam Sandler who plays like Dracula. Yeah, they bring his father, so the grandpa comes in, and that's sure. Vlad. Right, sure. And uh, he is played by Mel Brooks. <laughs> of course, he is. So that's great. Uh, well, yeah, we're about to sign off, but I want to say one thing as we're closing. This is like my little last since, since we went over time anyway. I mean, we're at a, a one hour and fifteen. You know what? Here, thanks. That gives us so, permission to go. For so this moment. this is our our last thing is, I don't know if you saw, but the very first pre reviews of uh, Hateful Eight are coming out, and I want to end on this note. Never in the history of Tarantino films have reviews been so uniformly, this is amazing. People are freaking out. Like, he's been super careful who he's shown it to, so don't get me wrong. He's obviously showing it to people whose propensity would be to like it. (laughs) Right. You know? Um, But you and I went and saw Django. Right. And we liked it. I would say I loved it until the last 15 minutes. Until the extra ending. And the last 15 minutes were bad enough to make me only like it. Right. They were unnecessary, and so it was a shame for yeah. it to be. Sometimes something's ruined not because the movie ended up being bad, but because it could have been so good. I just and feel like, like, like somebody needed to pull Tarantino aside when he started to go with that last part and go, dude, dude. Right. Dude, dude. He needed the dude, dude speech. Mm-hmm. And I'll agree. It didn't ruin it for me the way it did for you, but I clearly saw the need for it to have been done. And he, you know what? He did the same thing in Inglorious Bastards. That last, the last five minutes of that mm-hmm. film, he yeah. goes off the rails. But it 
almost works in Inglorious Bastards. Right, yeah. It did not work in In Inglorious Bastards, what it does is make you feel like the timing was off a little bit because they redeem it in the final 30 seconds or, or right. three minutes. What happens is he goes off the rails and then he pulls it back together for like that last three minute. He brings Christoph Waltz back for three minutes at the end. And when it's him and Brad Pitt on screen, yeah. okay, we're great again. Right? This is wonderful. So that's what saves Inglorious Bastard. Is for a minute it gets real French auteur and it's like, ugh. Um, By the way, have you seen Christoph Waltz is playing the bad guy in the new Bond film? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyway, um, so I just want to end by saying this. Across the board, people who loved Django are saying this movie is better than Django in like every single way. So like we're getting closer to this hateful eight thing. And uh, I just wanted to kind of tease that out there for our listeners. Like, go pay attention because I don't know about you, but I haven't seen reviews like this in a long... Like, these are like the reviews that happened post-Pulp Fiction. Right. But it's pre. You know what I mean? Like, Pulp Fiction came out and people were like, what the heck just happened? John Travolta matters. Right. Samuel Jackson will go on to be a star. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uma Thurman yeah. matters, right? Like, like it changed everything. And they're saying, like, that this is Kurt Russell. Right. Like, that Hateful Eight is going to remind us, like... And you can think about, when you think about, like, the cast of characters that's, like, involved in this film, I could see something like that. Like, I could see Tim Roth making Kurt Russell matter again. Right. And I love. I've always loved Kurt Russell, but yeah, me too. He's kind me of too. disappeared. Me too. Me too. So this is like he could be the next John Travolta. And you know, working in Kurt Russell's favor is that he didn't leave Hollywood because he made flops. No, he, he just kind of just left. Right. Right. So they say that it is a revelation. So it looks good. Anyway, one thing that we do know as we close is that Tarantino does get the actors who work for Tarantino love him. He's an actor's director. Right. And he lets them and that makes be sense at their best. And that makes sense because he is, as a writer, he is a dialogue writer. Right. Dialogue, I mean, yeah. you know, dialogue speaks to actors because right. actors speak the dialogue. Yeah. So, anyway, that's it. We're going to close down tonight. Uh, thank you all for listening. Until next time, I'm Rob and I love movies. And I'm the Slinky and I love movies. Let's, Let's all, all love, love movies together. together. And sometimes we'll even do that with AMC Mike. Yeah. See Mike and I love movies. I love, yeah, the movies are so good. I'm I'm AMC Mike, and if I was on the podcast, it would have been better. But since I wasn't, I guess you'll just have to be somewhat satisfied with Rob and Ryan, who you know were mediocre. Okay. Oh well. Goodbye.